begin after eight taps. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. He was slinging pawns at a B&B when he had an epiphany. And make a part in about time too about not playing the ND. It was free for all and I heard him say he bought my borderlands. But just sit back and let Spencer do his trick cause you're incapable A-A-M's. Hey there, I'm uh, laid up as I record this because uh, I managed to put my back out yesterday and uh, you can probably hear that I've also got a bit of a cold so that's all fun. Um, thank you TJ Drennan for the wonderful intro. TJ has started up his Patreon producing musical beds, transitions and just some wonderful sounds to uh, help liven up your podcast. So I urge you to go and check out his Patreon page at patreon.com slash TJD. Uh, and for just a couple of bucks a month, you could have a very slick sounding podcast on your hands. Thanks for creating that, TJ, because that's exactly what I've been looking for. Yeah, I had intended to get this episode out a little sooner, but, uh, you know, life issues and a bad back. What can I say? What you gonna play now? First up, I got a call from Jay Webster of Roleplay Rescue. Hey, Spencer. Welcome to season two, man. Great to hear the new episode. Thank you so much for that. Had a random thought, really, about... Uh, species or slash races in fantasy i kind of think maybe the part of the problem is that in a gaming uh, in gaming we tend to build uh, characters around abilities and i wonder if sort of racial species abilities if they're not just really those races are proxies for certain abilities within a game rather than being genuine actual species that you know you kind of have their own intrinsic value and therefore i wonder if you're not just as it's not just as easy, basically, to have a human being with certain abilities, special abilities or special powers, rather than trying to skin that up, if you'll pardon the pun, as a completely different species. Anyway, random thought, man. Game on. Hey, Jay. Great to hear from you, man. Yeah, um, humans with abilities, rather than making them races. I, can, I think I can see where you're coming from. Our race is just a collection of special abilities and couldn't you just strip those down and have them available to humans so you can maybe mix and match them, perhaps. I realise that's not what you're suggesting, but um, it just occurred to me then. Yeah, I think I was actively trying to get away from that and come at it from a more of like a cultural approach. Think about the communities that these particular species lived in and that how their particular existence informed 
the way they approached the world and to try and reflect that more culturally rather than reduce them down to like two or three particular abilities. Certain groups um, trying to impose their will on the world, others trying to live in harmony with it, some being more opportunistic, you know, rather than them just, you know, one having claws, one having a thick hide, one being skilled in weaponry, one being harder to hit, you know. That's there, obviously. That's That kind of stuff is in there. But I wanted to give it a context. I guess it all comes down to how you look at it. But I, I just wanted to try and create something evocative rather than thinking in terms of how gameable it is, I suppose. Next up, I've got a message from Jeff from Time of All Dooms. Sir, it's Jeff. Uh, when I heard you discussing reskinning typical fantasy races to make them more fantastic, I immediately thought of the book Wicked Fantasy by John Wick and the Wicked Fantasy Companion. I think those are both really uh, flavorful texts, have a lot of good fiction in them, where he takes typical fantasy races and makes them very much more fantastic and more interesting. And uh, I just wondered if you had read them, and if you haven't, I thought I would point you towards them. A good example from Wicked Fantasy that stuck in my head since I read it is... Uh, the take on the dwarves, which uh, they rename Uvandir. Um, the Uvandir have come out of the earth, and there's only one gender, and they can't reproduce, so they are a doomed race, and they have this whole melancholy to them. Uh, and so when one of them dies, whether it be from adventuring or sickness or whatever, it is a huge deal because there's one less Uvandir in the world uh, for that point on. And I thought that was a really cool take on things. Thanks for your message, Jeff. That um, sounds like a really interesting recommendation. I will certainly uh, try and seek those out. I do like the idea of putting a spin on the traditional fantasy races. Um, I was very interested by um, Dave Aldridge's idea from Deeper Centile when he was talking about using uh, gnomes, using their kind of folklore origins from uh, Nordic folklore, I believe, where they are actually creatures that live within the rocks themselves. Uh, very mysterious. Yeah, I found that quite interesting as well. Thanks very much for the tip, and thank you for the message. Really appreciate you getting in touch. Oh, what's this coming over the hill? Budge up, it's large. It's John Large of the Red Dice Diaries. And he's got a fair few messages with him by the looks of it. Hey Spencer, it's John here from the Red Dice Diaries. Just been listening to the first episode of your second season. And all I'll say is, you want to be careful of that wily Colin from the Spike Pit. First he's telling you to get rid of all the humans. Next he'll be telling you oil doesn't burn and you can't throw it. But in all seriousness, I can see that I can really see the appeal in like getting rid of all the humans and trying to do something fresh with the fantasy tropes. Although, as you rightly say, it is difficult. My problem with that is is that, as you rightly say, 
well, we are humans. And often the reason these demi-humans seem strange is by comparison and contrast to the sort of baseline human. Now, the, the sort of comparisons, the bits that we have in common are what make it possible and easier for us who are actually humans to get inside their skin and play them in an RPG. Whereas it's the contrasts and the differences that allow us to set them apart from the baseline human. The problem is, if everything's weird, then nothing's weird really, because we start to become a little bit complacent, a little bit blase about the strange things. Whereas if most things are normal and there's the odd like weird thing or weird sort of race, then it seems more strange. It's also, I think people make make the mistake of sort of focusing in too much on the weird stuff. To use an analogy, think of like Doctor Who, and whether you prefer the old Doctor Who or you like the sort of newer version in the the post-David Tennant era, and I will pray for your soul if you do, whatever, that's absolutely fine. However, one of the mistakes I feel that they made later on in that, that series, in the sort of newer version of it, was that they tried to make the companions seem all special and amazing and bizarre. And Clara Oswald is a prime example of this. She could have been a perfectly compelling character, being a normal human who was a teacher with a bit of a love interest and stuff like that. But no, they had to make her some weird fragmented like time creature who was bound up in the Doctor's timeline. And to my mind, the companions have always served as like the in for the audience. They're the sort of human who goes along with the Doctor to represent us. In the same way as hobbits represented the common man in the original Lord of the Rings and allowed us an into that world, the companions do so in Doctor Who. And by making them too strange to try and eventually wheel myself around to my original point, it makes it more difficult for people to sort of get in the shoes of that character. And I think by making things too strange in D&D, you run the risk of doing that. But anyway, that's enough of my rambling for now. Enjoy the episode, dude. Take care. I hope to catch you soon. Um, yeah, lots to think about there, John. First of all, what you were saying about contrast and I guess what I was thinking in this kind of these six species as I've chosen to call them were kind of in contrast to each other. I guess I was thinking in terms of trying to create kind of archetypes that represent each of those communities. Yeah, so rather than them being in contrast to humans, they were in contrast to each other. And yes, I also I get what you're saying about when you get rid of the mundane, you get rid of the the ordinary stuff, the strange becomes less strange. And I think this was something touched on quite a while ago when James from those feckin' books was talking about issues he had running Numenera and it being such a foreign setting, it was difficult to delineate between what was going to be everyday to those characters what was going to be bizarre and beyond their understanding and how to convey that to the players around the table who obviously find themselves in a completely alien environment. I I, I do see the issue I think you're getting out there. I think I may have gone off at something of a tangent, probably not the point that I've ended up making there, but hey-ho. I'm certainly with you there on the whole Doctor Who thing 
I'm a Tom Baker man through and through, and uh, I don't think I'll ever accept any of the other doctors. Well, and I understand that down to the time period I was watching it, but it's uh, difficult to convince myself that there's not more to it than that, and that basically he was the best doctor, and I just happened to be uh, at the right age at the right time. And But what you were saying about the companions, um, yes, I certainly think it's more interesting that they those companions are representing us going on that journey with the Doctor. What's so compelling about Tom Baker's performance is the otherworldliness of him. He is extremely strange. In a lot of ways, he's not... Um, his behaviour is sort of beyond human understanding of morality, I guess. The the companions shouldn't be special. I mean, I understand that uh, at least one or two of his, Tom Baker's companions, were from alien planets, but uh, certainly, I think it's Teela, is it, that I'm thinking of? Not Teela, Leela. She's from somewhere that's almost prehistoric and a very kind of, what's the word? primitive which emphasized the strangeness in the doctor you know it it exaggerated the the difference between crude understandings of the human and the seemingly all-knowing doctor who appeared to be operating on a completely different level to to almost everyone else and uh yeah i don't think you were quite done with the rambling because here comes an encore. Hi, Spencer. It's John again from the Red Dice Diaries. Like I say, just been listening to some of your episodes, and I heard you mention the sort of Dark Crystal prelude series, Age of Resistance. And I have to agree with you. Visually speaking, it is absolutely, absolutely stunning. The the, the way they've worked it in the few subtle bits of sort of uh, special effects that they've enhanced it with, like the Skeksis having tongues that move. And sorry, I know they're called Skeksis, but I'm trying to wrap my tongue around it myself. Ironically, while I'm talking about them CGI tongues into the mouth of the Skeksis. But yeah, absolutely beautiful and stunning. The storyline of the series, however, I'm not so keen on that, to be perfectly honest. And I can see what you're saying that the background's very woolly and sort of like loose, and it's mainly covered in a voiceover in the original series. And I can certainly see that they're trying to fill that in in the prelude. The problem with this is that so much time has passed since the original series that if you're a fan, sorry, the original film, if you're a fan of the film, then whatever you've imagined as that sort of backstory for the planet and the Gelflings and all of that and the Skeksis and the Mystics, whatever they do isn't going to match up to all the thinking that you've been doing about it and your own sort of vision of it. That's one of the things that I like about these loose backgrounds. To use an analogy, it's the same as with the original three episodes of Star Wars. It's like, I remember when I first watched them, you know, when you've got Obi-Wan Kenobi being like, I fought with your father in the Clone Wars or whatever the line was. I imagined so many like amazing conflicts going on with that and how things could have broke down and this massive war that saw the Jedi wiped out and huge space battles, the lot. 
and what actually happened when we got the Star Wars prequels, they were fairly limp. They were special effects feasts that didn't really have any story. They were widely panned, and they didn't really add a great deal to the, the sort of mythos of Star Wars, in my opinion. They just took what had been an intriguing sort of idea, this idea of the Jedi Purge and stuff like that, and they held it up to the light of day, and it was found wanting. And I feel a little bit that way about the, the Dark Crystal prequel, to be honest. I never really needed them to explain all of the details. I was quite happy with some of it being left to my own imagination. But as I say, at the moment, I've not actually finished the series, so I might just be talking about my backside. And I certainly don't begrudge anyone who does enjoy it. So that's my tuppence, dude. Take care. And I'll catch you soon. Hang on. I'm a little bit confused there, John. Was that your backside you were talking out of? Or was it your tuppence? <laughs> I'm only kidding, mate. Um, I really, really appreciate your calls on that. Um, I am certainly with you on the Star Wars prequels, and I think one of the main problems with the Star Wars prequels is the tone. They didn't capture anything of the original trilogy. You know, in the aesthetics of it, in the way they chose to tell the story, characterizations. Every potential target was a miss, as far as I was concerned. But with this Dark Crystal, I don't know. Maybe it's because it's been so long since I saw that original film, but it's always held a special place for me. It's one of those things where I always preferred it to Labyrinth, because I felt it was a little bit darker than Labyrinth. Although when you go back and watch Labyrinth, and you realise it's... uh, David Bowie trying to serenade a young teen with half the contents of a fruit bowl down the front of his tights. Um, Yeah, it does take on a slightly darker tone. But what got me about Dark Crystal Age of Resistance was the characterisations. You know, I really took to the characters that we were following there. The world building, all the new elements that were added were really, I felt, in keeping with the tone of that original film. There was nothing that really stuck out as being bizarre. It all seemed to be of that world and all seemed to come from the same sort of creative wellspring. And, yeah, I just lapped it up. But I guess, you know, it's not for everyone. But thanks for your messages. Next up is Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Over to you, Jason. Hey, Jason here. I enjoyed the first episode of the season. Excellent episode. Interesting thoughts. I my first thought until you went on talked about animals was Ralph Baskey's wizards for a post-human world. But um, the animal thing is interesting. There are plenty of games that. You can easily simulate those races. Of course, my first thought goes to Palladium, which isn't a very great, very good system, but still the system, you know, jumps to mind because of the TMNT game. Um, Other than that, what were my thoughts? You had something else. Hold on. I should write down before I call in, shouldn't I? So the social contract, especially with online games today, I think there's value in agreeing on what kind of game you want to play and basic things. 
I don't think you need to sign agreement on when bathroom breaks are. Um, That's my thoughts on that. And I look forward to your future episodes. Take it easy and keep up the good work. Hey, Jason. Thanks for getting in touch, man. Yeah, it's been some time since I saw Ralph Baskey's Wizards and my memory of it is, uh, well, practically non-existent. So maybe I should go back and revisit that or uh, maybe not, as it seems with quite a bit of Ralph Baskey's stuff. But you never know. Um, And as for Palladium, I mean, I'm not familiar with it, but I've heard so much about it that I don't think I would touch it with a 10-foot pole. So there you go. But thank you very much for uh, getting in touch. And as for Monty Cook's consent in gaming, there's been a couple of really good podcasts about that. Larry Hamilton's Follow Me and Die. You may have heard me call in there, actually. And also the guys at the dice are screaming uh, which is an excellent podcast along with jason's very own nerds rpg variety cast which you should also check out uh, next i've got a message from winston crutchfield from five minutes of prayer hello spencer this is winston and i have to say i just really started listening at the beginning of august so the first episode of season two is the the first one of your proper shows that I've gotten to listen to, I think. In order, that is. I, I'll probably go back and get some of your others. But your variety show format uh, really kind of does uh, appeal to me. <clears throat> Matches my attention span, at least. I do think, though, that if uh, you may find it difficult to back out of Controversy Corner... And if you're uh, not so interested in what Monty Cook has to say, you might uh, check out Evil Hat's Fate Accessibility Toolkit, which is all about uh, enabling uh, differently abled people to game at your table. Something I never thought anyone would write an entire book about. Anyway, uh, keep podcasting and game on. Thanks. Bye. Hi, Winston. Great to hear from you, man. Yes, the uh, controversy corner, but it's interesting you point out the uh, the evil hat table accessibility thing. I have my own accessibility issues, shall we say? I have uh, mobility issues, and I also fear I would test the boundaries of Monty Cook's ideas regarding toilet breaks. I am planning another possibly ill-advised return to Controversy Corner in my next episode. So uh, you may want to skip that one. (laughs) But thank you very much for getting in touch. Appreciate the message. Cheers. Oh, and uh, what was that, Liren? Hey, Spencer. It's Liren from Updates from the Middle of Nowhere. Oh my gosh, I loved hearing about your ideas about that game. That was awesome. That was a great episode too. I am so happy you're doing a season two and I look forward to every new one that comes out. I hope that you're doing well and I hope that you're getting lots of fresh and yummy eggs. All right. Talk to you soon. Lovely message there from Liren of updates from the middle of nowhere. My podcasts have been suffering from a distinct lack of Liren ever since the end of RPG A Day Month. And I have to admit, getting a little bit jealous of Dave Aldridge getting all the leering lately. Oh, well. Say la vie.
And as for those yummy eggs, I've got to say, one of the upsides of having a bad back is that I've had breakfast in bed two mornings in a row, poached eggs on toast. Lovely stuff. Uh, Now for some feedback for episode two from Shandy Andy of Unguarded Treasure. Brackets B-52. Hey up, Spencer. Shandy Andy here. Loving the Oliver Postgate episode. Brought back a lot of happy memories for me. I was a big fan, like a lot of kids in the UK, I think, in the 70s of Bagpuss. That was a very special programme. Like you, very vague memories of Nogging the Nog. I think it was before my time, but I, I do remember catching a rerun of it in probably the very late 70s. Uh, and I did enjoy that, but my perhaps particular favourite might be Ivor the Engine, because I moved to Wales in the late 70s, and I loved all that stuff uh, they did with the dragon, with Jones a steam and die the station, and I swear to God I met people like that back then in Wales, it was terrific. So thanks very much for that, it was a great nostalgia trip. However, Spencer, I do have... One bit of disappointment, really. I was a bit puzzled when you say you were struggling to tie it in with RPGs, as I thought this was going to tie in with your big announcement for A month that you were going to be doing a Rules Light Oliver Postgate role-playing game, introducing perhaps an innovative um, concept of the narrator into proceedings, who at the end of every round would narrate what the characters and the GM had actually done. So, you know, it was there for the taking, surely. Anyway, keep up the good work, mate. Cheers. Yes. I mean, it had crossed my mind to kind of go down the noggin route because, to me, that's the one that, with it being based on Viking sagas, it most obviously lends itself to gaming. I mean, the clangers possibly, but it may be a little bit limited in that they have to wait for things to come to them. They're quite sort of uh, homebodies, shall we say. Then you've got Ivor, who, um, well, I'm not sure as charming a setting as that is. And it does have dragons, but I don't know, I'm not sure how much excitement I could inject into that sort of parochial environment but I'm sure that's possible I mean Bagpuss strikes me as the obvious one because that just seems to be the richest one it goes off in all directions you've got the kind of the Victorian tone of it and yet it's full of folk stories and legends and stuff I mean it's a real mix of there's something kind of quite boundless about it. There's even a little bit sort of steampunk in there with the uh, the mice and their contraptions. But yes, I guess at the moment, I'm probably more focused on playing around with rules than I am on creating setting material. I seem to have come to a bit of a... Not dead end, maybe a little bit of a block when it comes to creating setting material. I didn't get much further with my uh, Annihilation style setting. Um, and, you know, I really enjoyed 
trying to kind of come up with a very with a loose framework but when it came to creating content for random tables and stuff like that I think I do struggle there so I'm kind of a bit of a I'm great at I say I'm I'm great I'm I'm just great (laughs) now what I mean is I'm I'm I feel that I'm good at initial ideas um, but when it comes to sort of filling in the gaps, when it comes to fleshing things out, I do struggle there, and I do, things do kind of ideas go off the boil, and um, yeah, maybe it's just a lack of discipline on my part. I'm sure many of you are familiar with that whole, uh, you know the struggle of the creative process anyway and just when I thought I was flagging in comes Joe Ripter from Hindsightless to give me a swift kick up the ego hey Spencer what up man it's Joe and that was just a fantastic episode dude I've never heard of Oliver Postgate before but his work and his drive and his creativity just sounds so amazing i'm gonna see if i can't find any clips or anything of that because i kind of need to see some of that the soup dragon noodle cat get out of here that stuff sounds amazing man and it's just so cool to me that you know over there you can get away with having really smart savvy political statements especially dissident political statements in children's television here in the states even back in the day you couldn't get away with that shit man so anyway thanks for sharing that i really appreciate it have a rad day and i'll talk to you again peace out hey great last episode don't worry about that not having a whole lot of rpg content like you say it's it's the ideas and the thought process and all that stuff whirls in the back of our mind when we're creating games and playing games and thinking about games And I know I really enjoy learning about new people and creators and stories I didn't know about. And, you know, listening to podcasts like yours makes me go check out that content and go back and look at the things that he did. So thank you very much for that last episode. Really enjoyed it. Oh, this is Jason. I don't remember if I said that or not. Take care. Bye. Also, another message from Jason there expressing much the same sentiment. Cheers for those messages, guys. But Joe, the noodle cat does sound amazing unfortunately it was a noodle chicken but hey that was pretty special in its own way too and uh you talk about what we had over here but look at what you guys had over there i've only just discovered thunder the barbarian and i've got to say that is one beautiful slice of gonzo madness right there and that's what's so great about this community is just the sheer volume of ideas being passed around and speaking of great ideas here's a message from another new podcast that's absolutely brimming with great ideas a 20-sided life by the mysterious brother tyler m hey spencer it's the mysterious brother here um i just wanted to call uh thank you for the calling you gave me Um, I actually just finished an episode on the city around the sword. It's called Arkvale. Um, I just wanted to 
thank you for inspiring me to to do that. Um, yeah, man, keep up what you're doing. Catch you later. Thank you so much for your message, Tyler, and thank you all for all your messages. I was going to say thanks for making my life easy, but have you got any idea how much of a mess I got myself into trying to pull that together? But I did it. We're there. We're finally at the end, and um, that's what I get for letting my messages pile up like that. But, uh, yeah really appreciate the feedback i can't stress that enough and i just have to say thank you for listening i've been spencer aka free for all this has been keep off the borderlands if you'd like to leave me a message please please click click please click the link in the description click click the link man I'm struggling to get my tongue around that today or you can email me at spencer.freethrall at gmail.com And remember, if things get dicey, just roll with it.